Hi guys, it's Josh Rubin with Douglas Elman here in New York with my good friend Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Team at Remax on Philly's main line. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Super excited to be here, Josh. Uh, always great talking to you, uh, especially in a professional environment. So that's that's a big win. <laughs> Absolutely, for a little bit of a change, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Tom, you've always been a little bit of an angel to me, and uh, it's no no uh, surprise that you have a little bit of a halo behind you today from the uh, sun that's coming through the window in your home office. You know, I'm just glad that we uh, got some sunshine here, given how horrible the weather's been. So it's a little more uplifting than the constant rainstorms. So I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Well, you know what they say about April showers, they bring May flowers, so here we go. <laughs> We're here. So, Tom, tell me, uh, you know, you're leading a team of, uh, what, about 20 now, and uh, you're one of the most successful in the, uh, you know, the Philadelphia, Delaware, Remax region. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you built your team, because I know when I met you, you were just an individual agent. We were uh, hanging out at a Tom Ferry event in Chicago, and you said, hey, I want to be like you when I grow up. I said, well, you know, follow my lead. And, and not only did you come right behind me, but you sort of overtook the lead. Well, you're being kind. So thank you. I don't know if I've overtaken the lead from you. Uh, but I, what I do know is when we met and one of the reasons I got into coaching in the first place was, you know, we I had a kid, we're building a family and we've all probably been there, people that have built teams where you're, you're, you're doing all this work when it comes to real estate and you don't really have the balance that you want. And balance doesn't really exist. It's more about counterbalance. So it's either, hey, I can do more work and keep doing more business or I can build a team and help those people rise up and have a better organization that's going to create a great life for everyone. And that's the option I went down since then. That was about seven years ago. It was right after we had my son. He's about seven and a half now. So we've got a total, a total group of 20, uh, 13 sales agents, seven staff members. And our per agent productivity last year was right around 28 sales per agent. So we, we've definitely come a long way in that time, although it feels like a long time ago. It really wasn't when you look back at it. Wow, 28 sales per agent, that's that's huge. What do you attribute that to specifically? How, how are you able to get each individual agent to really perform on that level? Well, you know, if there was a strategy that would work for every for every agent, it was a boilerplate strategy, it would be out there. And, and, and that just doesn't exist. So I found that you've really got to go to your people and see what's going to work for them, what their strengths are, and help them become specialists in different areas. You know, someone may be really good at converting open house leads. Someone may be better at becoming a listing agent or working with buyers. So kind of getting a feel for what their skill set is, and then also having some minimum standards that everyone needs to hit. So what's your lead gen going to look like? What what does your analytics look like in your CRM? Are you doing the right things? Are you following up with people? So we've come up with some minimum standards. And look, we didn't get it right the first time. It took a while to see what's going to work there. And then by having a daily commitment to generating business and following up and going, having people work to their strengths, that's what's worked across the board. So it's, it's not a boilerplate strategy. There, there's some minimums and then you play to what people are good at. Got it. So you kind of figure out, you know, are, are people better at open houses? Are people better at expires? Are people better at Zillow leads? And you sort of concentrate them on that. So, you know, it, it's not unlike, uh, you know, being say you know Joe Torre in the World Series and recognizing that you have a player who's who's really good at first, he could probably play shortstop in a pinch, but you really want that player at first. Well, and if you look back at my career and and yours as well, you know the reason I'm even standing here talking or sitting here is because I got really good at one thing, um, and I really focused when the 
you know, if you look back at the, the 2008 market crash, that's when I really made my bones that my wife and I had like got engaged and then GM failed the next day. And I'm like, great, good timing on everything. And <laughs> so, uh, and, and so then I, I, I sat down and I'm like, how am I going to run my business? Because it was a lot of referral based business. It was sphere based database, which is great. That's only one lead source. And that wasn't enough that when the market started to turn, because those people all started to pull back. So I, I looked at it and said, who are the most motivated people I can find who, who really need my help? And I really started working expired listings pretty aggressively. And, and that's been something I still do today. And I became a specialist there. And I got really good at that one thing on top of servicing my clients and working our database. And now it's all of a sudden you have two really strong lead sources and then you can supplement from there. So I encourage every agent watching, just focus on one thing and get really good at it. You know, mastering eight, that's gonna take a long time. Do it one at a time, build it brick by brick. And that's going to be the best advice you can have. And that's what we try to do with our agents because their skill sets aren't going to be like mine. They've got different personalities. You know, you and I have a similar personality. So we, we, that's obviously why we're, we're friends. We're on the, on the show here. But not everyone's going to have those similarities. And you can't just play to one. you got to play to everybody if you're going to run an effective team. You know, that's interesting. So, you know, you, you focused on expires and you got good at it. And, you know, expired listings, it, it's an interesting little, uh, you know, specialty. Because really, you're talking about motivation of sellers. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, we found that these expired listings aren't selling you know, for, for one of three reasons. And one of those reasons, of course, is price, right? Absolutely. And so I, I would say it's not unusual for an agent to you know, speak to their client and say, hey, you know, this, this price strategy isn't necessarily working. And so if the price isn't working, then you know, let's adjust it. So let's say you're asking, you know, in my market, the average home is about $2 million. So let's say you're selling a two bedroom for $2 million and you're not finding traction. Well, you know, where do you go from there and, and what price do you adjust to? And well, what happens if, you know, you're, you're in a position, Tom, where you're advising the client, uh, whether it be an expired or otherwise to reduce the price. And for whatever reason, they're not, they're not following. Well, then that's where, you know, you have to have tough conversations with people. The difference between a good agent and a great agent is the good agent will oftentimes tell people what they think they want to hear so they'll get hired. So they, they buy the listing sometimes, whatever you want to call it. A great agent, they give people the hard news and they may not like it. And it's also going to help them achieve their goal of selling the home because that's this is a black and white business. You either sell the property or you don't. And in our market's a little different that we're kind of a, our average sale price is about 330, 340,000. So, you know, having the right marketing isn't a guarantee. Um, right. I mean, some people, they have like iPhone photos or they, there's like misspellings or they don't have all the room dimensions or, or whatever that is. So we've taken, and this is one of the great things about getting to know you and other people across the country, we've taken some high-end marketing strategies and apply them to a meat and potatoes market. Not that we don't sell high-end homes, but there's a big difference between 340 and 2 million, right? So yeah. we take those strategies and apply them. So I'm clear our marketing is gonna be tough to beat in our marketplace because a lot of agents just don't wanna do it. And that's important because we're, you know, we wanna scale our business and, and, and bring, that, bring that sort of service to the table. So the marketing's a factor, pricing's a factor, but you have to have a real conversation with people. And, you have to also ask them the right questions and see how motivated they are, because if they're serious about selling, then you know, that's when you're willing to work with someone a little more and kind of work through it together versus the seller that says, I'm a seller at X and if it's a penny lower, I'm not going to move. Well, that may not be realistic. And ultimately, the buyer does set the market. Yeah, you know, that, that's very true. It takes two to tango, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if yeah. you know, I mean, it, you look at 
a, a team or a business relationship, you know, if, if you're not getting along with a team member, they probably shouldn't be on your team. I mean, there's got to be that mutual relationship. Other people don't feel that way. I would disagree. Um, anyone that you're going to get into bed with, meaning you're going to sell their home, pretty emotional time, pretty serious. You're going to work together with them. We're going to be seeing a lot of each other. There's got to be that mutual respect and understanding. And if that's not going to be the case, then it's probably not going to be a successful business relationship. And that goes for any industry, not just real estate. You know, I totally agree. And, you know, we've all been in relationships before where, you know, one person wants to go to McDonald's and you want to get a filet, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, you got to be aligned in your goals. And if they want to sell their home and you're clear you can help them sell it, then that's a win. But I mean, and, you know, and the same thing goes with someone that you work with, even if it's your, you know, your, your ops manager, your marketing director, whoever it is, you've got to be aligned there. I mean, that to me is so important because otherwise there's always going to be this tension and it's not around the task. It's around the relationship. And that's where it can get in the way of accomplishing what needs to be done in the business world. You know, that's an excellent uh, point. And, you know, we've all had uh, situations, whether it be with sellers and buyers, colleagues, uh, team members, et cetera, where, you know, they're, they're, you know, you get a little frustrated in the moment because there might have been a miscommunication, uh, you know, about who's going to do what, when. Uh, but it's really about the broader relationship and, and and the context and the as you said earlier the sort of mutual respect or admiration that you have for one another and a lot of that is derived from you know clear uh, efficient regular communication. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, when you don't communicate clearly and efficiently, or you're not ha you know saying what what the issues are, then they boil up. They get worse. You know, you think about that fight that you've had with somebody where it's like one thing after another starts to bother you instead of just kind of dealing with it and moving on. And, and I heard this from uh, Gary Keller um, through my coach, but it was a Gary, Gary Keller quote where he said, hey, if we're having a conversation about somebody else and they're not in on the conversation, we're gonna go find that person and you two can talk because I have nothing to do with it. And that way you just kind of squash the issue, move on. And you know that, that's been something that I've really started to adhere to and, and, and do more of because no one's got time for that nonsense, especially right now. I mean, it's it's all about getting the job done, staying focused. And, you know, there's an opportunity for all the fun stuff outside of the business world. But when you're at work, it's got to be like blinders on, head down, let's go. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. It's really all about focus. Um, you know, Tom, you know, one of the things that we're doing today is we're going on Instagram Live as well as Facebook Live. And so, you know, I would love anyone who's uh, who's watching just to ask uh, us some questions. Tom is a wealth of information. I certainly have a fair amount of experience as well. So if anybody has any questions, feel free to chime in and we'll try to get them uh, during the course of the broadcast. So, um, you know, that said, Tom, you know, you, you built this team. Um, you know, it's an incredible powerhouse. Uh, your your average sales price is, is what? Just to give our viewers some perspective. So it's right around 340000 $340,000. So, you know, in New York City, uh, with the average home, as I said earlier, being about $2 million, $340,000 uh, might get you a studio in Queens. Um, you know, you'd be lucky. You might be able to find a studio, which is an efficiency, one room apartment, tiny little kitchen, one bath, maybe one closet if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll find something that needs a complete top to bottom renovation for about $400,000. So here Tom is selling in sort of... Uh, uh, Ardmore, Paoli, Westchester, uh, uh, you know, that neck of the woods and the average sales price is, is about $300,000. Yep. And so, um, you know, tell us a little bit about just how, how you and your team get out of bed in the morning. 
I mean, you know, three hundred thousand dollars is, is like my mind is blown. Yeah, well, you know, there's different team models that are out there, right? So we've had to commit to a volume model, meaning that's why we need to sell twenty eight homes a year. And, you know, you say that's a crazy number. To me, that's a number that makes it worth everybody's while. Um, we're fortunate the cost of living is a lot less in the greater Philadelphia area than it is where you are. There's no question about it because, I mean, you're getting single family homes, three bedrooms. You know, it depends on the school district that you're in a lot of times. But there's options there. I mean, even if you go to downtown Philadelphia, you can get a nice place for in, in, in the mid three. So, you know, what we look at is our quality of life's less. How many units do we have to sell? You know, how, what does that look like? And that's where you have to tailor your business model to your market and real estate becomes super local. So, you know, for us, you know, that to give you an idea, last year we sold 265 homes that was right around $90 million in volume. So it was, it was a lot of work to get to 90 million. Uh, at the same time, that was a pretty good number. We were pretty excited about it. So, you know, sure. you know knowing what, you know, you, you can get for that money here. I mean, you know, you're talking 2 million bucks. You get a $2 million home here. That's like an 8,000 square foot property. So it's on, on the main line in one of the best neighborhoods. So it's just different. And it's relative to the market. You know, what I like about living here is I can walk to the train from my house and be in New York in an hour and a half. So that's appealing. Um, school systems are good, that sort of stuff. And I've got a family here. So how we get out of bed in the morning is that works in our market. And, you know, Manhattan's a much different place. Uh, but you got you to gotta be okay with where you are and kind of get real with what's happening in your market. That wouldn't fly in Manhattan. That wouldn't fly in New York. It flies here and it can work pretty well if you're willing to put in the work. But you got to commit to volume. That, that's really the, the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why you have the team selling, you know, an average of 28 homes per agent uh, because, you know, they're selling $300,000 homes. So at the end of the day, it's like they're selling about $6 million worth of yep. uh, volume, which is which is great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of your other lead sources aside from expireds, Tom? Sure. So our, our database continues to be our best lead source. And that that for any real estate agent watching, I mean, that that's the obvious place to go first because those people know you, like you, and trust you, right? So you already got a relationship with them. It's important to treat them like clients, even if they're your friends. I, I can't stress that enough. I just had that conversation with uh, one of our agents yesterday uh, just because that you don't want to go down the wrong path there. Uh, besides that, we uh, so our number one lead source is our database and, and, and who we know in the area. Number two is going to be online leads, specifically Zillow. Um, and you know, we have 400 some reviews. We've got our past sales up there. More importantly, we've leveraged our CRM and the technology to have automated systems that inject the agents to make the calls and do the videos and all the follow-up things they need to do, but they don't have to overthink it. And if you're going to do volume, you really got to embrace automation. Um, and that's something we've gone deep on. We actually hired a coach for our CRM. We use Boomtown. So he told us the exact best practices to use because that wasn't a, a skill set of mine. I mean, I get me on the phone, give me a call sheet. I'm ready to roll. Technology, not so much. So we brought in an expert so, to help us. So, so you have a, a CRM expert who is more or less just kind of focused on how to do, how to organize your CRM and how to leverage it? A hundred percent, yeah. And, and because, I mean, when you have, you look at these CRMs, I mean, I, I don't know what you have in your database. We've got over 23,000 people. So there's a lot of money in there. Everyone always thinks like the new leads are the best. That's usually not the case. The average internet lead, when they come in as a new lead, they're, they're, they, they're 371 days out for making a decision. They come in as a new lead 12 times on average with a registration. So what we do is, okay, we've got this in here. Let's leverage what we have. And there's different drip campaigns that we can use. There's different um, e-alerts where you kind of 
send them what properties are out there, like an MLS trip or in Manhattan, just a property trip, I guess, because I know you guys are a little different. And it actually scores our agents on, here's your percentage that you're hitting on. Here, they rank them in the CRM. And what our, our peer coach has done is he's helped us really understand that and use it properly. Because I was just talking with a couple people we know, Kyle Whistle, Becky Garcia yesterday, along with Tom Ferry. And most people don't even learn how to work their CRM. They just kind of jump in and use it. And that's where the leverage is, like understanding that first and doing that at the beginning. Then once you do that, you can kind of add something else, add another piece of tech, do something a little more creative. But these things are pretty robust when they're when they're built out. So that's been something that's really helped us over the past six months. You know, that's incredible. So you're right. You know, most people here, you know, you, you got to have a CRM. You got to have a CRM because as our friend Tom Ferry often says, otherwise it's just in your head and that's a scary place. Um, And so, you know, I, I basically said, I finally relented and said, okay, I need to get a CRM. So about four years ago, I jumped into Contactually, uh, you know, just sort of plugged it in and, you know, tried to organize it. And by the time I organized it, uh, they were acquired by another company. And so the (laughs) CRM essentially ceased to really operate the way that it was designed. We hopped over to follow-up boss. We were told the sort of basic, basic, basic tip of the iceberg, like this is how to organize your stuff. Good luck. And, you know, to have a coach for your CRM in order to leverage it, that's like that's like getting a uh, Toyota Tercel and driving it around as it was designed to be. And the difference between boring out the cylinders and getting a tank of nitrous in the uh, in the in the trunk and watching the thing fly down 95. You see, I like exhibit on Pimp My Ride. I mean, that, but that's a, that's a great, uh, great comparison because there's so many features you don't even know about, like smart trips, e-alerts. You can actually like you take a new listing, you can go in and search and see who's going to be a fit for it and bring that to them first. I mean, there's so many ways you can do that. So that's and we have we're just scratching the surface there. I'm clear we got another six to 12 months of really understanding, but we've already started to see the results and wow. the customer's ready for automation. Buyers are yeah. ready for automation. They're OK with that. And that's what they kind of want in a lot of cases. So they're always up to date in spite of you or I or an agent being in an appointment. You know, that, that's what the system's there for. And, and it's only going to get more, 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 uh, more and more like that with automation being embraced by the consumer. You know, you raise a good point, Tom. And, you know, we've all had many uh, opportunities to, uh, you know, build new relationships, whether it be with buyers or sellers or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I find that a lot of these opportunities, they fall through the cracks. And if you really get down to brass tacks as to why that happens, it's because we're human, we have emotions, and the smarter we are, the more we are to overthink things. And the more we are to overthink things, the more we're likely to approach you know, this process a little bit too much like dating. Like, oh, I can't call them right away because then they'll think I'm not cool and I have to <laughs> skip a day. And then by the time you call them, they don't even remember who the hell you are, yeah. right? And that's if you call them. And then you'll call them and then they won't remember who you are. It'll be awkward. And so you won't follow up with them again. And I heard an interesting statistic a couple of years ago, Tom, that I'd like to share with you and, and all our viewers, which is that in sales, the most successful people are able to differentiate themselves. They're able to disrupt failure. Why? Because they consistently follow up. Most people in sales, they'll, they'll follow up a second, maybe a third time. Are they going to are they going to follow up a fourth, fifth, or sixth? Probably not. And the upper twenty percent follow up between six and eight times. But the top one percent, what do they do? 
They follow up between 10 and 12 times. So that is what separates the, uh, the, the failures, the people who cycle out of the business, and the people who sort of do the lower average, the people who do the mid-average, the people who do the upper average, and the people who do the top 1%. They're just not afraid to follow up, Tom. You know, many years ago when I was first starting in the business, you, you might have heard this story, but I was working on rentals. I was working at City Habitat. It was a company that their entire model was rentals. If you did a sale, it was just because you got lucky and you happened to know somebody who was yeah. looking for an apartment to buy or you were smart enough to keep in touch with your past clients. But most of those people who were doing the rentals had this churn and burn mentality. They would take somebody out, they would show them three, and what they did was they would they would show them three and set them free because the idea was that if they were if they didn't rent one of those three apartments, they weren't renting anything, you'd be better off getting a new lead and doing the same thing with them. And so when I, when I decided that I was going to actually build a career in real estate sales in Manhattan, what I did is I said, all right, City Habitat is a great company to start. <clears throat> it's all about volume. <clears throat> so you can take what you learned from City Habitat and apply that to, to the broader career. So I decided to transition over to Corcoran. When I transitioned over to Corcoran, they gave me a desk, a computer, and a phone and said, we think you have a great personality. Good luck. <laughs> and I literally, I felt like I was drowning. Okay. I literally felt like I was treading water in the middle of the Atlantic. I was losing energy and I was starting to go under. And I went to my manager and I said, Hey, you know, here's how I'm feeling. I came from an environment where they were literally spoon feeding me leads. Mm -hmm. I mean, leads upon leads yeah. upon leads. All you had to do was stay in the good graces of the manager, which meant that you came in bright and early on Saturday morning when people were getting home delivery of the Sunday New York Times so that you're getting what they called the phone ups or on Tuesday evening, when the village voice would drop, people would get the, the new village voice with all the classified ads. And that's when you got all these phone ups. So anyway, I went over to Corcoran and he said, you have to do open houses for people. You got to do open houses for people. That's the only way. So I, you know, buddied up to a couple of agents. Uh, Victor Chino was one of them. And Victor gave me a two bedroom listing, which was $850,000 at 16 West 16th Street. And I worked that listing and I did an open house there. And I got a guy, his name was Andrew Powell. Andrew, wherever you are, hello and thank you. Because Andrew, I followed up with religiously. I left him consecutive voicemails. He was an attorney. He didn't leave his cell number. Hell, this is before everybody really had cells. Yeah. Um, and and so what I did is I, I kept leaving him voicemails. and. <clears throat> Finally, excuse me. <clears throat> I left a voicemail that said, Andrew, I've left you six voicemails. This is the last voicemail I'm going to leave for you. Please call me back. And would you believe that he called me back and I sold him an apartment for a million two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars off of an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar lease? So that's about fifty thousand. I'm sorry, that's about fifty percent more than the apartment that he came to see. Mm -hmm. My first manager at City Habitat said, if the person's calling on a $5,000 a month apartment, that's the least that they can spend. You know that they can spend more. So this was no exception to that rule. And it was really just about follow-up. And so I've taken that and I've continued to follow up with people as aggressively as possible. And, and you never know, you never know. I even follow up with the people who I didn't get, the people who selected another agent Yep. The people, the people who bought something with somebody else, I follow up with them like they're my client. And you know what happens? You eventually maybe get, them. get them. Maybe I didn't get them last time, 
but I get them the next time. Yep. And when I do, I get them for life. Well, I mean, that, that you know, that we've talked about this so many times in the different places we work together, the different mentors that we've had, and it's all about follow up, follow up, follow up. But you, you hit on the number. The average realtor follows up 2.7 times. So they don't even get to three. And all the sales are made after six. That's where like 70% of the sales happen. So the data is there. And this is any industry. This isn't just real estate. And that's why, you know, learning how to work your database is going to be so much more important than just buying new leads. Because if you don't call the leads, I mean, you might as well just light the money on fire. I mean, that, that's the, the, you're going to get the same result. So I totally agree with what you're saying there. And that's every good agent or great agent has a story like you just shared, where it's, hey, this happened. It turned into a, a long line of business. And it's all because I followed up and did the right things. Absolutely, Tom. And you know, you know when, when you are aggressive and you're disciplined, but you do so in a respectful way, people will you know, begin to trust and like you. They might not have known you the first time. In mm -hmm. fact, they probably didn't even like you the first time. And then the second time, and then there's the third time, but it's really all about messaging and what you say matters. Well, and, and you know, the whole point about building trust, you know, trust is, we saw Chris Voss speak this summer um, at the, uh, the Tom Ferry Summit. He talked about trust. And the biggest question about trust is people not knowing when they're going to hear from you. So, you know, setting that expectation, expectation with your current clients, like, hey, I'll give you a call on Tuesday in case something doesn't happen sooner. That way they're not freaking out, wondering when they're going to hear from you. And, you know, people complain that their clients are always texting them and calling them and emailing them. It's because you didn't set the right expectation up front. So being very clear with your communication, like you said earlier, and setting the expectation of when you'll hear from me, that goes a long way in any business. And that's what people want right now, especially with all the uncertainty in the world. But even before that, people just want to know when they're going to hear from you. That's the number one complaint about real estate agents is they never hear, people never hear from them. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's an excellent point. You know, we all set appointments to, to get business, right? We set appointments with prospective uh, clients to, to get their listing. We set appointments with buyers to show them houses or, you know, do a coffee meetup. But we don't necessarily set appointments with our existing clients just to sort of update them. And you'll hear from me every Tuesday, you know, between four and six, or you'll, you know, let's, let's make a, a date to, to touch base next week. Even if there's not nothing to talk about specific to their listing or their situation, you can at least follow up with them and say, Hey, here's what's closed in your price bracket, Mr. Buyer. Uh, or, you know, here's what's come on the market and is uh, competing listing with you, Mrs. Seller. So, you know, it's important that we, you know, perpetually deliver information and we have a habit of, you know, reaching out to people. Over communication is better than no communication. Well, look at what's going on right now. I mean, there's every reason in our two states specifically not to call people like, hey, there's nothing we can do. Uh, and over the past month, I've seen our team acquire a lot of clients because they're saying, hey, my agent hasn't reached out to me in the past eight weeks. That's a long time. I mean, you can have a home that you sold, put under contract, go to closing. I mean, there, there's so much that can happen in that amount of time. So we, we've been doing with our current clients is, hey, here's what's happening. Like we're talking about like legislation and, and hoping things are going to break in Pennsylvania, given the, the, the fact that we're the only non-essential state right now. And people are just happy to hear that. So they know there's something going on. And hey, here's our options. What do you want to do? And a lot of them are going the same way. And we're, we're being careful and safe and all that stuff. But that, you know, that builds trust because one, it makes you look like you're the knowledge broker. You have an idea what's going on. Some people have no idea. They're not well informed. So, you know, that, that alone, I mean, it, you know, right now, especially we're looking at client retention more than client acquisition, because some people aren't going to jump into the market until after this is all over. 
You know, it's interesting because, you know, we're talking to a lot of buyers. We're talking to a lot of sellers and they're asking us, A, what's going on in the market? I hear it's dead. And B, you know, when is the right time to do something? And the truth of the matter is that the right time to do something is now. If you're a buyer, get out there, look at what's available, because if it's available, chances are it's been available. It didn't sell then. We're we're seeing a, a number of price reductions, but that's on properties that were overpriced to begin with. It's no secret that locally here in New York City, prices are already off 10 to 20% ever since 2016. You had one uncertainty after another between the elimination of the state and local taxes. Then you had increases of mansion and transfer taxes. Then you had the... Um, the trade wars. Uh, so it's been one uncertainty after another. And then, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back is this pandemic, right? Yep. So with the pandemic, you know, you have this period where everything is frozen and you have people out there who actually need to sell. So if you're a buyer, get out there and start looking. Yes, there are buildings that will not permit you to get into the apartments. Okay. So those apartments are, you know, SOL. But that said, there are buildings that are permitting showings. I was just in one yesterday. And if you're thinking about making a move to Brooklyn or you're thinking about making a move to a townhouse, guess what? Those townhouse sellers need to sell. I'm out there showing townhouses in Brooklyn. Yes, I have a mask and gloves on and it's awkward, but you know what? We're getting it done. Now, if you're a seller, guess what? All those buyers who are out there looking for things, they can't get into things and there's not enough to choose from and there's no new inventory. If you're a seller, get ready. June 1st, that's your date. You got to get done June, July, and August. Why? Because we have this thing coming up in November. It's called the presidential election. You're going to see volatility in the equity market spike. You're going to have uncertainty go through the roof. And all of our buyers that don't go to contract and haven't bought something, they're all going to be tapping the brakes until the new year. So we have an opportunity here. It's the next three months. Get ready. I mean, that, that sums it up perfectly because if you look at history, right, and, and Ray Dalio, who I know you follow and I follow as well, there's, he has this, one of his principles is just another one of those, meaning there's very few things that have ever happened in history before, and there's really none, and it tends to repeat over and over. And elections, guess what happens? People hesitate. Does the election really affect the market? Not really, but there's hesitation, and, and you, you bring up a really good point. And what I'll also say is that, you know, you look at what's going on now with the, the pandemic, right? So our market's a little different because you're in that luxury price point. We're a little more meat and potatoes here, especially that like three, four, five hundred thousand dollar property. That being said, the folks that are out there looking and are motivated, both buying and selling right now, you're absolutely right there. And the, the sellers and buyers, what they need to be doing is getting informed and figuring out what's going on, what they can and can't do. We've got people buying homes that they can't even get into now because they need to buy something. They're driving by, they're doing a a Zoom virtual open house, they're doing a FaceTime tour. And this right now, we're equating it to like January because it's that calm before the storm. And whenever things open up here, it's going to be gangbusters. And I've been telling our team, get your big boy pants on, get your big girl pants on and be ready to work this summer because we're not going to be going down to the Jersey Shore. We're not going to be drinking spike seltzers. We're going to be working and selling houses. And you're right. It's going to break here soon. Our lockdown date ends June 4th. Uh, and that, at least for now, who the hell knows what happens here. But knowing that's the case, that we have some date in mind, it's going to be three months of a spring market in the middle of summer. Yeah, I have no doubt that we're going to see a delayed spring market come June. Uh, you know, as things open up here, people are going to need to move. People are going to want to take advantage of the exceptionally low rates. And I, I trust that there's going to be 
uh, low inventory as well, historically mm -hmm. speaking, because there are going to be a lot of sellers who are going to be afraid to step into a you know perceived falling knife. Not that there's going to be one, but of course, they're not going to read about it until the fall. And then everybody's going to launch their listing in September. That's when you're going to see a pickup of inventory along with a pickup of uncertainty. So all of those people who are listing in September, they're not selling until January. And when they do, they're going to have to adjust their expectations to make up for the concentration in inventory. So, you know, Tom, I want to ask you a question. Let's take it back. You know, you, you're, you're super unique because, um, you know, I, I just want to tell the people about your introduction to the business. So can you tell us a little yes. bit about that? So uh, my father owns our firm. Um, he's been doing it since 1978. And, uh, you know, he, I, I, got, I was like putting signs up when I was eight years old. Um, I got licensed when I was 19, when I was still in college. I went to business school at Syracuse. So shout out to all the New Yorkers because everyone just goes to Syracuse and moves to Manhattan right afterwards, except me, obviously. <laughs> and um, since then, what happened is um, we got some guests coming in here. This is the beauty of working for home. Say hi, everybody. So um, what, what happened was I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was way too young and way too dumb when I got into real estate. And I just started working. And I, I'm clear that's why I was able to get through what happened in 9-11. That's why I got through the 08 market because I was like in my early 20s and I had no other option. But all right, I just got to go sell houses. This is what I'm doing. And you know, I, I think now, you know, someone being in the business 20 years, I feel much more prepared for what we're dealing with now than I would have been if I gotten into real estate when a lot of other people did. Got it. You know, it's interesting. You know, you and I have something in common, which is we didn't have any other options, it's, right? This it was, was plan A, B, was, C, and D. I mean, there's no, was, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, we, we did ha we did actually have options. You can sell that house, you can sell this house, or you can sell that house over there. So take your pick. You're selling houses, okay? Yep. So you know that's that's what got us through. We didn't have any other choices. So you know, one thing led to another, and we just figured out a way to make it work. You know, we got through 2008, and we got through you know all these other periods of uncertainty. I got through September 11th which is probably the scariest moment in New York City's history. People literally thought that the physical sky was falling and, and uh, you know, people were scrambling and it was, it wasn't exactly like today, but you know, people are talking about, Hey, you know, I want to leave the city. Well, you can leave the city, but it, it's literally like a conveyor belt of people. You know, there are so many people who want to come to New York that, you know, the, the five or 10% influx that we see in people who might actually leave the city, you know what? There's there's 20 percent more people who are going to come into the city yep. and they're going to you know, they're going to expand their families. They're going to move from their rental to their studio or their one bedroom and then to their two bedroom. This is just the cycle. And then there is a share of people who are empty nesters who are selling those houses on Long Island to the people who are moving from the city to buy those houses. Guess what those people are doing? They're moving to the city because yep. it's such a fantastic place to retire. So this is this is a temporary period. In, in both our markets, but particularly New York City, because of its concentration and its urban lifestyle. There's articles every day in all of the local papers talking about how it's going to be so difficult to come back. And, you know, Twitter is saying that people, you know, their employees don't have to come back at all. Everybody can just work from home in perpetuity. And so there might be some change in the landscape as far as, uh, you know, commercial tenants are concerned, but even that is going to be slow to change. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm just seeing that you know, there's going to be a renaissance here and it's not going to be tomorrow, but it's going to be at some point in the next 12 months as people begin to get more comfortable. Broadway is going to reopen. People are going to come back 
and it's going to be you know the New York City that we all know and love much sooner than we think. It's going to be a dial, not a switch. I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's going to be some people that feel more comfortable. They're, they're science. We've got all these doctors working on this stuff. I mean, this is something that you know we, we've, we've come back from before. And there was talk of a market shift for a long time, right? So this is just not how a lot of people thought it was going to happen. And that's what kind of, I mean, that, that's really the difference here. I mean, there was, a, there was a lot of talk of this. I mean, you're talking about what happened in New York since 2016. Our market, the high-end market's definitely been a little softer here. And that's really when you get above 650, 700, where we're, that only makes up 7% of the sales in the entire greater Philadelphia area. So, you know, knowing that's the case and, and, and what we know and what we're seeing from the V-shaped recovery models coming from JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, all those people, there's going to be a dial that gets turned up. It's going to take a little bit of time. And for the agents watching, this is the time where you really got to put the work in. Because there's going to be people that come out of this that have been like wanting to move for the past two months, and they're going to be ready to roll. And that's going to be the big difference here that, that, that we're going to see kind of like a jump start and then an eventual dial to get it back. Uh, have you looked at that showing time data at all? That coronavirus showing time sort of spike that they have? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen our friends and colleagues from around the country post graphics from showing time. Showing Time, of course, is a, uh, a back-end platform that people use to make showing requests in other markets through uh, through the MLS. In New York City, of course, unfortunately, we don't have an MLS. So showing Time really isn't uh, yep. applicable. But you know, there's this there's this correlation almost between the equity market that I noticed, the equity market and the S and P chart, and and the showing requests. It's like this V shape, like where showing requests are way up. Yep. So in Pennsylvania, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing it totally flat right now because we can't go into properties. We're still non-essential. But the comp is Michigan. This is the one I wanted to bring up because they were like that until May 7th. They right. saw 113% increase over the past week in showing activity. 113%. And they were in the same boat we were. So, you know, New York, it's tough because you don't have all the data. But, you know, the people that are watching and, and New York's probably the most, we're probably the most similar right now in terms of markets because there's still the restrictions of buildings and that sort of stuff. You're going to see stuff jump right back up. And Michigan's the comp. That's what everyone should be looking at there. You know, you raise a good point, Tom. And, and one of the things that's, that's helped, uh, you know, our viewers is staying in touch with the reality of the broader national market, right? I'm talking to people in California. I'm talking to people in Texas, Florida, uh, Philly, you know, New York, of course. And what we're seeing is that activity is robust in markets where we can actually show houses. So it's important that we step outside of our respective vacuums where, you know, there isn't any data. People want to know, well, what's my home worth today? Well, Mr. Seller, you know, at 781 Fifth Avenue, your, your home is worth, you know, maybe what it was, you know, two months ago, and maybe it's worth less, maybe it's worth more. I don't know. But what I do know is that, you know, our friends in all these various regions, whether it's the Midwest and Michigan or Chicago, Florida, et cetera, there's activity in these markets. And that tells me that once we restart, we're actually going to see this sort of almost like a connect the dots from where we left off to where we will be two weeks post opening. And I'm sure that there's going to be activity in this market that that no one no one actually expects. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's why, you know, you, you look at, so you talk about what agents can do, because I'm sure there's a lot of agents watching, like they, they've got to get their, their schedule in order. You need to get up early. You need to have your time blocking done. I mean, all the basics that we talk about, I, we, I reread the book Shift from Gary Keller when all this happened, just to help get our team through it, because they hadn't seen this before. And, you know, those, it's, it's all about going to those basic things, like just manage your time better, protect your time a little bit, make sure you have appointment blocks, you know, no, no, ask the right questions so you don't get your time wasted with somebody. And you know, there is going to be a major jump here. And Michigan's the, I mean, they, they were, they're past where they were this time last year, 
just in a week, which is crazy. I mean, that, that, that's a crazy number. And I'm excited when that happens here. It'll just New York and Pennsylvania will just have to see when it happens. That's the big question. Absolutely. So, Tom, you know, one of the things that I like to ask all of our guests is, uh, you know, whether they have a hidden talent. Uh, do you have anything that, uh, you know, might not be so apparent? So, like you, I was a DJ in college, believe it or not. So, uh, I worked at a, a tavern in Syracuse. Uh, it was, uh, we would play all the 90s hip hop. That was pretty good. I mean, I know how to put on a good party playlist. Let's, let's put it that way. That was uh, very surprising to a lot of people when you see a kid that grew up in Chester County that went to an all-boys private school. But guess what? Like you, I've got kind of a knack for music that gets the room moving. So you found your talent. You put together a, uh, <clears throat> a rocking party list. So, uh, you know, DJ Tom Tool, thanks so much for joining us <laughs> of, the, uh, of the Tom Tool sales group at Remax. He is the number one producing agent in the Pennsylvania, Delaware region for Remax. Tom, thanks again for joining us today on the Ruben special. My pleasure, man. This is a bucket list item. Thank you.